Please rise for the reading of the gospel. We continue our reading from Jonah and um, from Jonah 3 in particular here. You may follow along as I read. <clears throat> when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. For God said to Jonah, Do, not, do, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow? which came into being in a night and perished in a night? And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Thus far the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, please continue to guide and encourage us this morning as we worship. Help us to listen well. Encourage Andrew as he shares your message. Thank you for the music and the readers who have stepped forward. Guide us by your spirit to take away your message and apply it in our various callings. We know that this will not always be easy but we know it will be good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated.
So it's always interesting when you prepare for an occasion like Christmas morning, you shape your outline, it's going to be nice gift theme and we're going to unwrap a gift and then you come to preach the sermon on New Year's. And so we, we changed the, the opener this morning. We think about New Year's and New Year's resolutions. Uh, I did a little research on New Year's resolutions. They go back to the Babylonians uh, some uh, 400 years or 4,000 years B.C. I don't know exactly what it is, uh, but back to the Babylonians. Uh, their New Year's wasn't January. It was actually in March. Uh, but they had a history of, of making resolve throughout the course of history. There's been, you know, all sorts of uh, folks that have made resolutions. Uh, I, I know when they changed the calendar and we have the January 1, uh, Janus is the Roman god that looks backwards and forwards. And, and so January is the month where we look backwards and forwards. And there was a history or there was a tradition of making resolutions that was connected with uh, the Roman pagan worship, all of that that was going on. Uh, folks still make New Year's resolutions. Uh, they estimate that roughly 8% of New Year's resolutions are actually kept. Uh, I don't know exactly how they get it. I don't know if you've responded to any Gallup surveys with regards to your efficacy of keeping the resolutions. Uh, but part of it is, I'm sure, that so many of our New Year's resolutions are, are based in our own determination. Uh, they're based in our own will, our own grit, and we're going to get this done. I'm, I'm going to change this thing. God, of course, wants us to be intentional. I wrote a little bit about that on Friday, just in terms of how we, we shape our lives and the kind of shape that is given to our lives as we pursue communion with Him. So we are to be thoughtful. The, the first of the year is as good a time as any is to, to think about some of these things. But the thing is, and I think you all would agree with me, is the, the success of any determination we make to go forward has got to be in something deeper than ourselves. It, it's got to go beyond our own screw-it-up determination. We're going to get this done. It's got to be based in God himself and who God is. As we've been walking through Jonah, we've been sort of looking at it through these worldview lens that Walsh and Middleton give us. Who are we? Where are we? What's the problem? And how is that problem fixed? Who are we? We're a, a people on the run, but are desperately pursued by a loving God. Where are we? We're in a, a weary world, a world that is oftentimes marked with, with violence and, and, and sinful degradation. Uh, what's the problem? We, we can't conceive of the love of God. We, we can only see in limited ways that, that looks for justice or vengeance or any of these things. We, we can't conceive of a God who can hold all of these things together perfectly. How does this problem get addressed? On the one hand, we said it, it involves humility for us. 
uh, of our hearts. We, we looked at what God is doing in Jonah. We looked at what God did in the Ninevites. But ultimately, our hope for the addressing of the problem lies with God himself. And, and that is the point of the book of Jonah, it is that it is God himself. Uh, it is his character his character as he has revealed it throughout the scriptures, you know, most notably going back to Exodus 34 uh, after Israel had sinned with the golden calf and, and Moses is saying, how can we go forward? You need to show yourself to us, O Lord, so that we can have any hope. And God took Moses and he put him in the cleft of the rock and he passed by him and he said, I am the Lord the Lord, uh, full of mercy and, and graciousness, forgiving the iniquity of the thousands uh, to the third and the fourth generation. And here Jonah in chapter 4, verse 2, 3, he reiterates that and he says, this, this is who God is. So what does it mean for us as we go forward? How do we ground our, our desires, how do we ground what God is doing in our lives in who God is? So the way that I've organized it for you, uh, Christmas-wise, is this gift of grace, uh, this, this wonderful gift that uh, we get to open every time we open God's Word, every time we read a story such as Jonah and come afresh again into realizing the God that we have. Uh, three observations for you just in terms of the gift. One is that uh, this grace that is displayed in Jonah is for the openly rebellious. We, we see that uh, characterized in the Ninevites. We saw that at the end of chapter 3, uh, verse 10, that Dick read for us this morning. Uh, when the Ninevites humbled themselves before God, Elohim, whether they actually knew him as Yahweh, the covenant God, it's not told us, uh, but they humble themselves to some degree. They merely glance in God's direction, and God relents. Uh, from the disaster that he had declared upon them. Some of us get pretty frustrated with this, like Jonah. We're like, we, we want to see true repentance. We want to see, uh, we wanna see a, a real coming around. But then, like Jonah, we're looking at the person rather than looking at the God who receives the repentance what we understand here is that God's graciousness uh, goes beyond what we can conceive deserves of it. And, and that's kind of the point, right? Uh, if, we, if we have put desert, uh, what we deserve, into the equation, then we're talking about something different. We're not talking about grace. We're not talking about undeserved favor. We're talking about, you know, qualifying. We're talking about earning. And, and, and what God demonstrates to us in his forgiveness of the Ninevites, and they were bad. They had violence in their hands. We, we read a couple of weeks ago just how bad the Ninevites were. They deserved justice. 
but God gave them grace. Similar, if we go back to Exodus 32, to Aaron. Some of you remember Aaron. He was the high priest. He was the one that the Israelites said, make us another God. And, and Aaron did. He collected all the gold and threw it into the fire, and out came this golden calf. You remember Aaron's repentance in chapter 32, beginning in verse 21? You know, there Aaron says, uh, you know, these people... He blames the people. He said, uh, you know, I, I took the gold and uh, out came this golden calf. He doesn't take responsibility. Uh, it, it is the worst repentance recorded in the, in the history of the Scriptures. I mean, Aaron is so awfully guilty of rebellion, and yet he is spared. And, and yet he remains the high priest. And yet, his lineage is carried on. God gives him grace. And that's what we see here. We see a God whose character is grace. Grace to the openly rebellious. But it's not only grace to the openly rebellious, it's also grace to the outwardly religious. And we, of course, see this here manifest in the person of Jonah. Jonah uh, has come thinking to do a religious job uh, in Nineveh. He delivers his message, uh, but he has absolutely no expectation uh, of a God of grace to show up. Rather, what does it tell us in the text? He goes outside the city and he is waiting to see what would happen. He's waiting to see God come down and consume them like Tyre and Sidon, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, I, I want to see some real fireworks here, God. But it doesn't happen. And, and, and Jonah is, is angry. We're, we're told a number of times in the text that, that there is a bitterness, there is an anger that arises in Jonah. God confronts him and he says, do you do well to be angry? But Jonah is because he can't, you know, the God who shows up in this story isn't the God that he had in mind. And that's a problem right there, isn't it? You know, so often we like Jonah. We have a God in mind. Jonah liked God, for instance, and I think the plant helps us to see some of the things that are going on in Jonah's heart and mind when this kikeon, this, this plant comes up, probably a castor oil plant. Uh, when this plant comes up, Jonah is very happy. Why is, it, why is Jonah happy? Because a plant is giving him shade. He's comfortable. He's got everything that he wants. Uh, it's a plant that has arise in the night, and then when God appoints the worm, and the scorching east wind, and the plant withers and dies the next day, Jonah is angry. Why? Because his comfort is disrupted, and, and God is not acting in the ways that he thinks God should act with Nineveh, with the plant, all of these things. But he is not understanding the depths of what grace is. And that's what God is trying to tell him. He's like, Jonah, you didn't do anything for this plant. The plant came up in a night, 
uh, went down the next day. I mean, this, this is solely a work of grace. Why do you think that you deserve better? Why do you think that I have failed you because I have failed to operate in the way that you think that I should operate? And Jonah is learning. God is teaching Jonah uh, very deeply that uh, he cannot, he cannot order God in his own way. One writer puts it this way, Jonah could not accept that the law of grace should work in favor of his enemies, but neither could he accept life without grace. God's graciousness to Nineveh was unacceptable uh, to Jonah, but God's withdrawal of grace to Jonah also was unacceptable. He longed for a God who was partial like himself, instead of a God who was gracious, merciful, and responsive to the cries of all creation. He wanted his own personal God rather than this God who showed up in Jonah, in Jonah chapter 4. I think we can probably relate to this story that uh, came to mind shared a portion of this story with you before. It's a story of, of Heather and Barbara. This is Barbara Duguid. She has a book called Extravagant Grace, and she talks about uh, just the way God had to work in her in order to recognize this uh, stupendous grace, both for the openly rebellious as well as the outwardly religious. Her friend Heather uh, she met while well, they were co-workers at a hospital uh, in a lab. Uh, Heather had moved there, had no friends, was very lonely. Uh, she seemed almost invisible. She spoke hesitantly, quietly. Her facial expressions were flat and unresponsive. She moved slowly, every step sort of drawn out, every action painfully sluggish, as though the simplest tasks in life were a heavy burden for her. Barbara felt sorry for her. Uh, Heather was gossiped about by other workers, mistreated by some. Uh, she needed help. She needed Jesus. And in Barbara's mind, she clearly needed me. Turns out as their friendship grew and she invited her into her home and uh, sharing the gospel with her, discipling her, all of those things, that Heather had come out of a very dark time. A dark time where she was marked by sins like sexual promiscuity, abortion, uh, guilt and shame had shrouded her life, her body. She had lived in sort of a zombie mode, walking through her world, shielded from the gaze of others by a portable, invisible coffin of silence. As the guilt was lifted, uh, she began to understand the grace of Christ a change came over her. She talked more. She became more animated. She began to smile and laughed. Eventually, uh, she was noticed by a man in the congregation. They began to develop a relationship. She married, and uh, God had shown his grace to this openly rebellious. And she was sharing her testimony. 
The morning that she was sharing her testimony, Barbara was there in the congregation. It was a dramatic story, and, and Barbara had some anticipation because she was a primary player in the stage of Heather's new life. Yet as I continued to listen to Heather's lengthy narrative, Barbara was starting to get annoyed. Heather's version of the story sounded highly inaccurate. She kept talking about God and what he had done in her life, but she hadn't mentioned my name even once. Annoyance blossomed to anger as I began to wonder if she was going to mention me at all. How on earth could she explain her story without thanking me and telling everyone how I had given my life to reach her with the gospel? Heather's story was finally drawing to a close, and my anger turned to fury as I re realized that she had no intention of mentioning my name at all. Bitter thoughts flooded my mind, and I rehearsed what I would say to punish her for her foul ingratitude. I desperately hated Heather in that moment. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a thought appeared in my mind. Barbara, you are a glory hound and a limelight lover. This is not your story. It's mine. And all the credit and the glory belong to me. God's grace for the openly rebellious and the outwardly religious, it comes to us in the same way because we all need that grace. We need uh, the grace that overlooks uh, whatever it is in our past, whatever we've done, overlooks what is going on in our heart, what we perceive we deserve and what we perceive that uh, we have earned. God comes to us and says, he, he actually helps expose us. That's the whole point of Jonah. He helps expose that it is all of grace. It is all of grace, no matter what your wrappings might look like. The last thing I'll just mention about this gift of grace is not only uh, does it come to those who are outwardly religious uh, or openly rebellious. And again, you know, a couple weeks ago, we looked at that story of the, the prodigal, you know, the younger brother, the older brother. They both needed the father to come to them. They both needed the father to extend a welcome to them and and to draw them into himself. It is what we all need. It is what God offers us. But it's a grace, really, that outstrips our reason. Uh, some of the, the, the interesting part about Jonah is just the ending, sort of how abruptly it is. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. What? <laughs> what? What? Where did that come from? I mean, we, we get God's compassion for people, but cattle? Why? We, we've mentioned a couple of things a, a little bit already. We, we talked about God's care for the world. Cattle here is not just about a cow. Uh, cattle is about an economy. Uh, cattle is about a way of life, about functioning. And, and what we see here is that God cares about all of those things. 
God cares about his creation. God cares about the world that we live in. God cares about the uh, social systems that we dwell in. God cares about all of these things. Jonah recognized this. If you remember back to chapter 2, verse 10, when Jonah is in the whale, sort of comes to what we said was, in many respects, the climax of the book, where he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, there is a complete surrender there in Jonah's heart. He is giving it over. He's saying, it's not about me. It's not about who I think should be in or who should be out or what salvation should look like. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And when the book ends, that's, that's what we're shown again, that salvation belongs to the Lord. His grace is so great, we look at it for people, the openly rebellious, the outwardly religious, but God is saying, my grace continues to push far beyond that. You know, far as the curse is found, my grace will go out into this world. Herman Bavink, Dutch guy, wrote a book, uh, Theology, uh, his volume called Last Things, he says this, God's honor consists precisely in the fact that he redeems the same humanity, the same world, the same heaven, the same earth, the same cows that have been corrupted and polluted by sin. I added cows, uh, but he said everything else. Uh, you know, and, and, and what his point is, is that it's too small of a thing for God to just save people. God's grace is extending into the cosmos far as the curse is found. And that is what God is trying to... He's saying, Jonah, you have an imagination problem. You have thought that my grace was, was just for the religious, just for the nation of Israel. But let me expand this idea of grace. If you remember, when we started this series, I quoted from Eugene Peterson. He said, Jonah's sulking comes from a failure of imagination as well as a failure of heart. He knew little of the heights of God's love, the depths of his mercy, the breadth of his salvation. God had purposes far exceeding anything that Jonah imagined. Jonah thought he had come to Nineveh to do a religious job. But God brought Jonah to Nineveh to show him amazing grace. And that's the story. That's, that's what's under the tree this Orthodox Christmas morning. Uh, uh, that is what is under the tree. That is the gift that we unwrap, a grace that blows our minds, that, that, that shatters our preconceived notions, a grace that shows us truly the heart of God. So, two things. What do, what do we do? How do we, how do we receive this gift? Because there is a gift to receiving gifts, Right? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you in your families, or you, you recognize that for some people it's easier than others to receive gifts for whatever reason. Uh, we can talk about that later. Some of you may have more uh, problem receiving gifts than giving gifts, actually. So, so how do we receive 
the gift that God has for us. Uh, two things. The first is we, we receive it. We, we rest on it. We, uh, we enjoy it. We savor it. We, we continue to come back to it time after time. We, we rehearse its notes and its tones, and, and we allow it to, to settle into our body. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, he tells a story, or he, he does a thought experiment. He says, imagine a doctor uh, who goes into a very primitive country where there is a disease, and the doctor has done the research. He knows what the disease is. He knows what the cure is. He's independently wealthy. He's taken all the right medica medication along with him. He's ready to administer it. And he goes into this community, and person after person after person refuses the treatment, refuses to, to take the medicine that is offered for whatever reason, they don't trust, they don't understand, they, they just refuse to, to receive what, what is being offered. Till finally, a couple young men step forward and, and say, we'll, we'll take it. We'll, we'll, we'll surrender ourselves to what is being offered and receive that which is promised in the medication. Imagine the joy of this physician. But this is our, our Heavenly Father. He is the great physician. Jesus says, I came into the world to seek and to save sinners. It, it's not the religious that need a doctor, but it's sinners who need a doctor. A and so as we confess and as we open ourselves up to our need as we receive and we rehearse and we rest upon the grace of God we bring joy to the great physician who has come to administer the gift of grace you know so often we think God's going to be so disappointed with us he's going to be so He's going to be so discouraged by me. Here I am again with this sin, confessing. Or here I am having blown it in yet another way. I never knew I could be so creative in blowing my relationship with God. But God says, I know you're sick. I've got the cure. Come, receive the medicine that is on offer to us. Ortland goes on to say, we cannot present a reason for Christ to close off his heart for his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, a if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, we are cast out. The walls go up. But with Christ, our sins and our weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. This is number one. Receive the gift. Acknowledge your need. Go and throw yourself upon the one who would administer to you the cure. Lastly, uh, we activate it. You know, sometimes you, you get these gifts that you eventually have to unwrap it. 
Uh, you have to unwrap it. You have to take it out of its package. And sometimes it needs batteries. You have to plug it in. It needs power. It needs activation for you truly to recognize the ability uh, of the gift, for you to truly recognize its full character. And, and as we stand on the threshold of 2023, as we think about our life together as a church, as we think about what it means for us uh, to be recipients of this amazing grace, God's saying, activate it. Let it go out into your community. Don't hold the grace just for yourself. You know, this is such an interesting book. It just ends right there. It, it seems sort of unresolved or it seems sort of ongoing. But I think that's the point. You know, we, we believe Jonah is the one that wrote this. Jonah underwent a, a transformation, a change. Jonah leaves the story hanging because he wants us to step into the story. He wants us to continue uh, spreading the grace of God that's for the openly rebellious, the outwardly religious, a grace that outstrips all of our preconceived notions, anything that we can even ask or imagine. God says, step into my grace. Allow it to be active in your neighborhoods, in your families, uh, in the community. As a church, as we step into college ministry, among folks who are uh, lost and wandering, as we uh, plant churches, as we think about these things, as we share the grace amongst ourselves, as we move it out into the community, activate the grace of God, because this is his heart. I knew, Jonah says, you were gracious and merciful, and I didn't want it for the Ninevites, but God has opened our hearts and exposed us, much like he did to our friend Barbara. He, he wants us to know that we can't just hang on for ourselves. He wants us to activate his great love and share it far as the curse is found. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this word. We thank you for what it means for us as we Get ready now to come to your table as we get ready to, uh, to taste and see the, the culmination of this grace in the Lord Jesus, the one who did not eschew the cross uh, but went to its very, uh, the very outermost limits of society in order that he might be rejected uh, as the prophet outside the city, the one so unlike Jonah, the one so much greater than Jonah, uh, as he was rejected for our sake, we have abounded once again into newness of life. So, Father, we pray that you would meet us at this table, uh, that you would minister to us afresh your grace. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is the one who is greater than Jonah. We've been saying that all along. 